Hello and welcome to the Outpost Community Church Sunday Podcast. My name is Greg and we are currently going through a series in Matthew and we are so glad you tuned in. If you'd like to hear more about the vision and mission of Outpost Community Church, you can go to our website at outpostcommunity.org and you will find it there. Otherwise, we pray that you have a wonderful week of worship and that this message will inspire you to follow Jesus with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I tell you what, it is such a joy to stand up here and look out and see so many people connecting with each other. The, the love that we share, the love that we show each other right here, uh, we need so badly. So that I, I, I almost don't want to stop what's happening, but I tell you what, God's word is even more important than, uh, than our connection with each other, so we'll, we'll jump into it. Uh, my name is Eric Wachab. I'm an elder here at Outpost. I'm really happy to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, as, a, we were, as we were starting to sing, one of my daughters leaned over to me and goes, Hey, Dad, did you turn off your microphone? <laughs> yes, I did, and you all can thank me. Uh, who, who is Jesus? Give me, give me some feedback. He's God, he's truth, he's my savior. Yeah, if I ask that question a little more personally, who is Jesus to you? What do you say? My, my Lord and savior. Those are the most common. That's, if you ask me who is Jesus to you, I'd say he is my Lord and he is my savior. And uh, this morning we're going to look at those two things uh, from our passage in Matthew. We're going to see proof that he is our Lord and Savior. So I'm going to have you stand up. We're going to read the whole thing together. We'll stand so that we can uh, honor God's word because it's, it's worth honoring. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. You can have a seat. Father God, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the truth of your word today. I pray that we would not be blind. I pray that you'd open our eyes to who you are, to the power that you have over sin and darkness and despair. I pray that you deliver us from evil, from the evil around us, from the sinfulness of our hearts. God, I pray for peace in Israel and Gaza. I pray for Greg and his family as they're traveling. And mostly, Lord, I pray that we would represent you faithfully 
and with worshipful hearts wherever we go. Amen. Everybody's got a reputation, right? Some people's reputation is really great. Oh, yeah, like, she's a great babysitter. You can trust her with your kids. She'll do a good job with them. Others, not so great. When I was just starting my career, I had a boss whose nickname was Toddzilla. You can imagine how he dealt with conflict in the workplace, right? Some people's reputation is a bit overdone, even, even many centuries later. Would you like to have brunch with Genghis Khan? Yeah, it's got a reputation. Other times that reputa reputation is more, more personal, right? Uh, would you clean your house before your mother-in-law came over? Yeah, probably would. Uh, in the past few weeks, we've had the pleasure of hearing from both Tony Mong and Chet White give a sermon from right here. Both of those guys have a great reputations as excellent communicators. They also have a reputation that they're, you're going to see tears in their eyes as they are imploring you with God's word. I kind of have a reputation when I preach too. There's going to be some tears, but it's probably tears of boredom. So, sorry. <laughs> do you ever wish you could know what your reputation really is? Like, what do people really think about me? Or do you sometimes wonder, how did, like, I know what that guy's reputation is, but how did, how did we all get to really think about what story started that reputation? This morning in this, in this passage that we read here, we're going to see how Jesus started, not started, but how his reputation was built over the years of his ministry. We're going to see how he got that reputation, and we're going to see that how it compares with the, the truth of who he really is in, in some or in full. Between when Jesus began his ministry and when he went to the cross, uh, he was known for certain things. He was known as a teacher, and not just kind of a, an okay teacher, but a teacher with authority. He was known as a healer. He was known as someone who, he kept upsetting the apple cart. Wherever he went, he was bursting wineskins, wine as we read about a couple weeks ago. But how did he get that reputation? It started at the very beginning of his ministry, where he introduces himself in a, a new way. He's in Nazareth. Everybody knows him. It tells us in Luke four, chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus read, quoting from Isaiah, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He, he knew what his reputation would be. And a few years later, three years later, as he's nearing Jerusalem, he knows that he's going to his death. He knows he has a little bit of other work to do first. And as he's going to do that work, his reputation is preceding him. Jumping over to John chapter 11. This is the story of uh, the death and Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. So Jesus goes to the home of his friend Lazarus. Lazarus, that's a hard word to say. Uh, he's died, who's already died. Lazarus' sister, Martha, knew Jesus. Knew more than his reputation, like he, she actually knew him. And she said, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. 
Lazarus' other sister, Mary, said, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. The crowd knew more of the reputation than the man personally, said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? So those that loved him, that knew and loved Jesus, knew that he could heal. And even those who didn't love him, who were cynical about Jesus, had to admit that he performed miracles, like real miracles, authentic ones. In those three years from when he started his ministry in Nazareth to when he was getting very close to completing his ministry in Jerusalem, Jesus had developed a reputation as a man who had healed unlike anyone before him or since. When he first said that he was going to recover the sight of the blind, the people in his hometown there, Nazareth, rose up in wrath, and they drove him out of town, and they were going to throw him off of a cliff. Three years later, the Sanhedrin wanted to kill him, but they couldn't because he had performed so many signs and wonders that the people knew that he was something special. Even his enemies could not discount his reputation as the healer of the blind and the restorer of the broken. How did he get there? This passage this morning shows us uh, two specific events of how Jesus developed that reputation and why he deserved that reputation, and also why we tend to put Jesus into too small of a box based on what we think his reputation is. So let's finally here, let's jump into the actual passage that we're going to spend time in. Matthew chapter 9, verses 27 through uh, 31 this time. So as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Then Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. So we can take another little step back here. Where are we at in Scripture? Well, we're in the, the Gospel of Matthew. It's written primarily to a Jewish audience to illustrate how Jesus is the Messiah that they had been longing for and how Jesus fulfilled all the, the teachings of the prophets that said this is what the Messiah is going to look like. Uh, sometime previously, Jesus had already given the Sermon on the Mount, and then for the last several chapters and you know, last many weeks here uh, on Sunday morning, we've been seeing Jesus perform miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle that confirms his deity. On this particular day, we're following along with Jesus. He's uh, somewhere outside of Capernaum. He's got his followers with him, both his close disciples uh, and also folks more on the outside who are, who are evaluating, critiquing, is this guy really all that I'm hearing about? That noise around Jesus is increasing. He's been doing miracles. Can we trust him? Can we believe him? What is he saying? What did we hear last week from Tony about? Jesus had raised a girl from the dead. Has that ever happened before? Verse 27 says, As Jesus passed on from there, meaning Capernaum, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now that's a term we don't often use, son of David. How many of you have ever started a prayer? Dear son of David. 
I haven't. What does that mean? Well, it's the right term to use if you're looking forward to the Messiah, especially the Messiah who's going to be king over Israel, who's going to get rid of the Romans, who's going to restore Israel's national glory, the son of David, the heir to the throne. They're saying the king has returned. Read what Jesus asks. Verse 28, when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I wish we'd say that more often. Did they know exactly what he was going to do? No. But did they trust him? Yes, Lord. They'd already, already had proclaimed him Messiah and King. Now they're saying, we know what you've done for others. Heal us, Lord. What is Lord? Who is Lord? It's your king. It's your boss. It's the one to whom you accede control. Are you willing to give up being in control of your own life? If you are, you might get to see a miracle when you put Christ in his rightful place as the Lord. Look back to the passage here. How did these two blind guys get in front of Jesus? Literally, how did they get to Jesus? Well, they followed him down the road. Probably a big crowd of people. So they, can, they can hear, but they can't see. They don't know what he looks like. They don't know exactly where in all this commotion he is. And they're crying out to him. Son of David, have mercy. So they're going down the road, and then Jesus gets to the house, it says. That he entered the house. Presumably, this is where he's spending the night. Jesus probably got to that front door and was like, yeah, hey, everybody, it's great to see you. Like, I'm going to go here and have a little dinner and sleep, so we'll catch you in the morning. And Scripture doesn't actually say that part, by the way. He goes inside, and it says the blind men followed him into the house. We assume there's some disciples there, there's some other people there, probably the host families there. So there's, you know, it's not a big place and it's full of people. And there's two blind guys who are looking for a man who, who they don't know in a house that they've never been into and they can't see. Sounds similar to the paralytic on the mat that we read about some weeks before, right? These guys are willing to, to do and say awkward things to find their Lord. Son of David, have mercy on us. Did Jesus rebuke them for being impolite? No. He heals them. He highlights their faith. According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and they could see. They didn't stumble and trip their way back out of the house the same way they came in. They didn't, they didn't blindly grope their way out they could see. You know there were tears of joy. There's three other instances in the book of Matthew where uh, people are specifically named or shown as being miraculously healed of blindness. There's uh, about eight or so individuals healed of blindness if you look at all four Gospels, more or less. The Gospels also say that there were many, many more people healed of blindness and other similar things throughout Scripture that were not specifically named or highlighted. So these, these verses here, this passage, is just kind of an appetizer. It's just to just kind of show you 
how did, how did Jesus work? But here, Jesus shows his complete power over the physical world. There was something wrong with those guys' eyes. It was a symptom of a disease. It was a physical ailment. It was definitely a manifestation of the curse from the Garden of Eden. At Jesus' touch, it was made right. They could see. He changed water to wine. He calmed the sea. He healed broken people's bodies. He is Lord of this world. He created the heavens and the earth. He is Lord of the universe. Verse 30, their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. So in this part, we see Jesus, he's actually trying to manage his reputation a little bit. What did those men declare him to be? Lord, and specifically, the son of David, the Messiah, the coming king. That's who the Jewish people were really looking for, is, is somebody who could get rid of Rome. They had faith over his power. They had faith in his power over the physical world. Uh, we see from their choice of title that they primarily expected him to be their earthly king and priest. Maybe not God, but at least priest, an intermediary between God and man. But was Jesus ready to declare himself the political king? No. Was he willing to be just a, a, a earthly priest that helps people maybe understand God better? No. He was busy bursting wineskins. Those two guys just couldn't help it. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sympathetic to him, actually. If I was healed of blindness, you'd know I'd tell people. I mean, if Jesus stepped into my life, healed me, restored me, I just wouldn't be able to shut up about it. I'd tell everybody, right? Everywhere I went, I used to be this way, then I met Jesus, and my life has radically changed, so I couldn't stop talking about it, right? I'd have to tell everybody, right? 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 Do we? On the other side of the cross, we are under no such order to keep things quiet. In fact, we're commanded to go and tell everybody. And we've met Jesus, and we've been changed and healed, and we tell everybody we meet, right? We should. In this passage here, we see faith on the part of those who needed healing, and we've seen tenderness and compassion from Jesus, as we have seen in multiple chapters so far. And we see very clearly, once again, his power, his lordship, over that physical realm, the world that we can see and perceive. Let's look ahead to verse 32 here. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. The two formerly blind men, right, have just left the house. They, their passage says here, that they're not even out of sight, right? They're not even out of sight. There we go, thanks. When the next person is brought in to Jesus, okay, he was brought in. He wasn't calling out to Jesus as Messiah. He wasn't reaching out and clutching for him in desperation. 
This guy was, Scripture says he was brought to him. Again, sounds like something we've seen before. Reminds me of the paralytic man on the mat. Scripture doesn't say, but who brought him? Who brought an unclean man before the righteous teacher? The Bible doesn't tell us, but it certainly shows us that the presumably man's family had faith that Jesus had power. And what was Jesus' response? Once again, compassion and power. And everybody saw it, and it was unmistakable. Verse 33, when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And they were right. Never in the history of the world had there been such a need for healing from demonic possession. Jesus spoke a word, and they fled. They were banished. There's more individuals recorded in the Gospels being freed from demons than there are being healed by blindness. Something like 10 different people specifically identified. And again, many more people from the crowds that were healed, that were set free, that we don't learn specifically about in detail. Also, Scripture consistently makes a distinction here between people that were cured of a disease or an illness and those freed from demonic oppression. Those things are, well, it's not just sort of an archaic way of saying, oh, yeah, we had some disease that we didn't understand. See that consistently in Matthew, consistently in the book of Luke. The spiritual world exists whether our Western, col- uh, Western culture wants to acknowledge it or not. And there's a spiritual battle that's raging around you whether you wish to acknowledge it or not. And the great news is that Jesus is the Lord of that realm too. He saves those afflicted by the devil. He is our Savior. The crowd saw him saving broken, oppressed men and women, and they marveled, and they pressed into him. They brought their broken family and friends to him. Verse 34 says, But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. The Pharisees had a righteousness of self that blinded them to who Jesus really was. They didn't see him as a savior because they didn't need a savior, so he must be something else that they don't need. They judged him, they convicted him, and they dismissed him as the prince of demons. But they didn't refute that he was casting out demons. They charged Jesus with healing on the Sabbath. But they didn't charge him with being unable to heal. Can you see the links that those guys went to to try to dismiss Jesus so they didn't have to listen and obey and love him? His reputation was like no one's before or since. He is the Savior. That's how we get to this passage here in John chapter 9. It's fairly lengthy. I'm going to read all of it. I'm not going to go through this one verse by verse, but it illustrates so beautifully the tension between people who are willing to see Jesus as Lord and Savior 
and those who are going to dismiss him because he doesn't fit what they want. Uh, context here, Jesus had healed a man of blindness on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees just, they go crazy. John chapter 9, verses 18 and following. The Jews did not believe that this man had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who'd received his sight and asked them, hey, is this your son who you say was born blind? We don't really believe you, by the way, but you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They punted. Other than the fact they said, yeah, it's our son, and he was born blind. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And that man answered, whether, he, whether Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already. It's the second time he's talking to him, And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This guy's picking a fight. He is is expounding on the truth is what he's doing. And the Pharisees, they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that, that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. He's saying, really? This, he's been going around for years. Really? You don't get it yet? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah, the Messiah, a Messiah? Do you believe he's come? And that man answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He said, Yeah, I've been waiting for him, but I, who? Who is he? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him with your own eyes. It is he who's speaking to you. It's me. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Praise God. He said, Lord. He said, I am under your control. I'm under your authority. You are my Lord. And then... He said, and I worship you as right, rightfully as God. In the passage here, the Pharisees dismissed Jesus as a man working through the power of Satan. 
But those who were healed by him worshipped him as the Messiah. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Think about Jesus' reputation at that point. Even the people who didn't like him conceded that he could heal the blind. They had to find a way to use that against him. Let's go back to the story of Lazarus, right? It's a couple days before the triumphal entry as Jesus is walking up to Lazarus' tomb. His sisters have said, hey, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even they didn't conceive of what he was able and about to do. Other than the sisters, there's some other cynics there that were watching Jesus like, hey, Jesus, man, like, yeah, we heard he heals people, but he was late. If he was on time, he could have healed them, maybe. I mean, I guess what they say. But he was late. What a disappointment. Like, I was hoping I'd see Jesus do something. Jesus burst all of their wineskins, right? Those that knew him and loved him and thought a little too small of what he was really able to do. And certainly of those who were looking for a, some sign or proof to kind of make him giggle. What did he do? He didn't heal a sick man. He raised a man from the dead. He raised Lazarus right out of the tomb. Think about that, what that would look like if that was today. If a man walked in here with a fully credible reputation, researched, authenticated reputation of being able to heal with a word, being able to raise someone from the dead, wouldn't we be pushing each other out of the way to try to get in front of him? He's so much more than just a physical healer. He's compassionate. He is seeking out those of us who need his grace. He heals the blind. He heals the bleeding, the broken, the withered, the deaf, and the dead. He's powerful. He's more powerful than we can conceive. We kind of traipse around ignorant of this, this spiritual war that's going on around us because we can't see it with our eyes. We are oppressed to the point of being unable to speak, but with a word from Jesus, demons flee and the oppressed are given liberty, liberty to praise God. Jesus was Lord of the physical realm, and he is our Savior in the spiritual realm. He calmed the sea. He cast out demons in the country of the Gadarenes. When the paralytic man was lowered through the roof, Jesus healed him and he forgave him his sins. He heals the blind men, he frees the mute man from a demon. And he did these things over and over and over and over and over again to the point where three years later, no one is arguing about his power. Leaves us with a simple choice. Will we call out to him, son of David, have mercy on me? Or will we dismiss him out of our cynicism? Will we bring our friends to him? Or are we going to let Jesus pass through our town without seeing if that reputation is true or not? 
if like me, Jesus has healed your blindness, I pray that you can't help but go out this week and spread his fame throughout all the district with your coworkers, your family, your friends, your relatives. Tell the world what he's done for you. Around here in this room, this room is full of folks for whom Jesus has a reputation for changing lives, for bringing us out of darkness into light. If you know you're blind and you want Jesus to light up your world, talk with the friend that brought you. Talk with the guy sitting next to you or in the row in front of you. But don't leave here without seeing if Jesus lives up to his reputation because he is our Lord and our Savior. Father God, I thank you that you are Lord over the physical world. There is nothing that you are not uh, in control of. You are our Savior. You rescue us when we need it so badly. God, I pray for those who are fighting disease. I pray for those who are uh, oppressed by your enemies. And I pray you'd bring real healing to our bodies, to our hearts. I pray you'd, you'd banish the powers of darkness from this place, from our families, from our town. And I pray those things not for our convenience, not for our comfort, but for your glory, that your fame may go out through all the world and that we would be a little part of making much of you. I pray these things in your name, Lord, my God and my Savior. Amen.